0: Cutting through an overload of information to get to the heart of the
1: story. This is The Point.
2: 2022 witnessed significant moments in China's relations with countries in Europe, Asia Pacific and the Middle East. I've handpicked three such moments to help you understand how China's diplomacy evolved in the year. But by all means, it's been a busy one for China's effort to build a human community of shared future. I would therefore ask my panelists to pick one more moment of their choice, one that they believe will shape China's diplomatic outlook and the world possibly in 2023 and beyond. I'm pleased to be joined by Xiao Ching, Senior Fellow of the Center for American Studies at Shanghai Institutes for International Studies, joining us from Shanghai. Joining us from California, the United States, by Nabil Farmi, former Foreign Minister of Egypt, and from Beijing by Professor Shi Tao, Dean of the School of International Relations and Diplomacy at Beijing Foreign Studies University. The warmest welcome to all three of you and happy holidays. So, Without much ado, let's go straight to moment number one, and I think um, one area of China's diplomacy that's particularly worth commenting on is the relationship between China and European countries. For instance, we had a series of meetings during this year. President Xi met with EU leaders virtually. EU institution leaders, by the way, uh, virtually on April the 1st. And then German Chancellor Olaf Scholz visited China on November the 4th. President Xi met with leaders of France, Netherlands, Italy, Spain, uh, and et cetera, at the G20 on the sidelines of the G20 summit in Indonesia in mid-November. And last but not least, uh, European Council President Charles Michel's visit to China end of November. And uh, I actually talked to Mr. Jörg Wuttke, who is a president of the EU Chamber of Commerce in China uh, earlier this year in summer, and he had this to say.
0: You know, with the expectations, as, as China has a very low GDP per capita, that China will grow for decades to come. And we want to be part of it, hence the lobbying to have more market access. But at the same time, of course, uh, Ukraine has an impact, but the much bigger impact at the time here now is Omicron, the supply chain. So in a way, uh, we are really dealing with a very complex uh, pattern of challenges that we didn't foresee uh, about a year
2: ago. Mr. Fahmi, let me go to you first. Watching from your perspective, uh, obviously, time has changed very rapidly over the past weeks. Uh, how did you look at the rather rational approach European leaders, especially major European leaders, have demonstrated in their dealing with China, uh, especially since the, the second half of this year?
1: Actually, we looked at it uh, uh, with a sense of cautious optimism uh and we frankly applauded that sense of pragmatism we have been uh, regularly telling our international friends uh you need to engage with everybody whether you think they're a competitor a friend or even a foe uh dialogue should be the name of the game competition is legitimate when you talk about we specifically what are you referring to in the international community as a whole. Uh, and uh, there is a rising tension, last year at least, between the US and the West and China. And this shifted a little bit with the Ukraine issue towards Russia, but still China was looked at as a potential problem. And then suddenly with Ukraine, people started to look at China and say, well, maybe it's helpful to engage China. That's been our position from the yes, in Egypt. From the very beginning china is an important country and it's not going to go anywhere it's going to have not only influence it's going to have increased influence so uh we the, everybody needs to engage each other and i would simply throw in very quickly uh, there was a historic visit by the chinese president to the arab world uh, where he met with in saudi arabia with the saudi leadership with arab leadership from different countries and gcc leadership and in a very important phrase that kept being used by the Chinese was shared destiny, shared, destiny, shared uh, uh, interest. It was this respect for each other, the desire, the desire to work with each other. It doesn't mean we will always agree, but the, uh, the, the point of engaging was extremely important. And I would close my preliminary comments with saying, the international community, the international order, is facing a perfect storm. And unless we get the major players, U.S., of course, from one side, Russia is still a significant player, and China to engage constructively and help us all work together to deal with this storm, we will all suffer the consequences.
2: Ms. Shao, let me go to you. Of course, you're an expert of uh, U.S. studies based in Shanghai, but how important are the European position, especially views by uh, European, major European countries such as German, Uh, Chancellor Olaf Scholz, who visited China in mid-November, despite a lot of pressure, a lot of criticism. Why do you think European leaders are taking this um, courageous step, I would say? But of course, a step that in China's eye, that's definitely in the right direction. Um, I agree with uh, Mr. Fagmi's uh, view that uh,
0: uh, we have to engage with each other. And I think major European country leaders, they understand this. And, uh, and of course, they have faced a lot of pressure from the United States. The U.S. current uh, uh, monetary uh, policy and financial policy, uh, economic policy has put a lot of pressure on European countries. Uh, to uh, hurt their competitiveness. So I think the European politicians, they understand this. So German Chancellor Schultz, uh, he has been very pragmatic. And of course, um, within his country, uh, uh, I think diplomatically, they have done a lot of uh, balancing a job, try not to uh, uh, focus too much on China. But anyway, um, China is a very, very important market for Uh, Germany and also other European countries. They have to uh, uh, protect their market share. This is the first thing. The second is uh, because of the military conflict in in Ukraine that uh, uh, Europe has faced a lot of uh, pressures uh, like inflation, like energy crisis, all those things. Uh, That also uh, pushed the uh, European leaders uh, to come to China and to talk with the Chinese leaders to uh, strengthen China-Europe relations.
2: Professor Xie, is this a tactic out of expediency, then?
3: I would be inclined to agree with uh, your characterization just now, Liu Xian. you say it's more kind of a expediency out of a necessity. Uh, I say this because I have always been struck by kind of a combination of uh, pragmatism and the skepticism in European countries. So you go to Brussels and then you hear leadership talk about human rights, values, you know, norms. But then, and then the pick fights with uh, the Chinese government. And then uh, they also want to say, we, we, we want to pursue a strategic autonomy. But then, uh, the sometimes they would say, wow, you know, probably we can't do this, at least at the moment. We need to uh, uh, go back to China and we talk about business, investment and others, right? So I think, uh, to put in a less flattering way, I think there's, there's kind of this, uh, hypocrisy mixed with, uh, with some kind of, uh, pragmatic needs. Probably that's a tradition, uh, in many Western countries of uh, diplomacy because they have always uh, tried to, uh, portray themselves as a champion of some, uh, so-called universal values. But then at the other times they found that their values conflict with their own economic interests. And so they have always tried to walk a very fine line between pragmatism and skepticism. Uh, But I do applaud uh, the Chancellor Schultz's visit to China, despite this enormous pressure from, say, uh, the country across uh, the Atlantic and from other capitals. I, I do think that even though you have your values, but you have to be down to earth. You have to be really uh, uh, you know, think about the long-term benefits. We we don't have to be kind of an economic determinist to argue that Germans have to come to Beijing or the French have to bow their head in front of us. But in the end, every country their their I would say their most important security. It's not just about political security. It's about economic security. For each and every citizen. Now, yeah. uh, Mr. Fahid mentioned about the Ukrainian conflict, and Sao also mentioned, right? With this rising prices, the energy, and the winter is coming. You got to feed your people, close your people, provide heating for them.
2: What about yeah? What about That's the it. other end for China? Is it just China giving market access? China giving Europeans something? Does China also need Europe?
3: Professor? We do, we do, we do, of course. You know, but the key difference, Lucien, you see that. We don't go around and telling people through the media and telling people we really put some values in the universal values up front. You know, we would not try to sacrifice our values for some short term interest. That's very different from what the Chinese leadership has been doing. We do things that we think are in the best interest of the international community, as well as in the interest of the Chinese people.
2: Of course, there is a lot to be said, but uh, time being very limited, I'm going to move on and, and give people um, the opportunity to think for themselves. Moment number two, uh, as as Mr. Fahmi just mentioned, China and Arabic uh, relations. Uh, President Xi Jinping made a multi-day state visit to Saudi Arabia. This December, he also attended the first ever China Arab State Summit and the China Gulf Corporation Council Summit, which was held in the Saudi capital, Riyadh. Um, I talk to former Tunisian foreign minister Khemaiz Jinawi on China-Arab ties, and he had this to say. I think, uh, I think honestly, I don't think uh, the matter is choosing between China and the United States. Uh, the, from the Arab perspective, uh, I think it's increasing relationship with uh, an older partner, China, but that, that does not mean that the Arabs will uh, look uh, you know look away from their relationship with the united states they have also strong relationship uh, particularly the gulf countries and even north african countries they have good uh, substantial relationship with the united states particularly on economic but also on security and they think that will continue uh, from the arab uh, partner Uh, so it's not choosing between china and the united states it's you know, developing a relationship with one major partner, which is China. Uh, Mr. Fahmy. once again, let me go to you. Uh, what does um, the first ever summits mean for Arab countries? What do
1: you think China really want in that region? Sure. Let me very quickly answer your question with a small caveat at the beginning. When I was foreign minister, four days after I was appointed, I, I gave a statement saying that one of the principles of Egypt's foreign policy will be ensuring that we have multiple options uh, in our international relations, which basically meant continuing to develop our Western relations, continue to develop our Russian relations, but also continue to develop, and even more strongly, Asian relations, especially with China. So it's always about providing better options for our own national interest. And that means engaging the significant players around the world, but not at the expense of each other, but for the benefit of our own interests. That being said, the Arab-Chinese summit, which you correctly mentioned, gained a lot of attention because of the level of participation, because of the basic principles mentioned there, all about working together, respecting each other, understanding each other. Uh, But the reality is, it was perceived initially in the West as being anti-West, that the region was moving away from the west towards china and i issue statements saying that's superficial and quite childish one because uh china today already is the largest trading partner with a number of arab countries even before the summit and it makes sense that we will do more of that as would china because it has interests in the arab gulf particularly energy but also uh, the fact is you have strong relations in the west with china economically so why shouldn't we uh to answer your question directly the arab leaders looked towards the uh, chinese president with two angles one what can we do nationally on a bilateral level economic projects and development and so on and there were significant indications there but more importantly also and this goes to my point earlier about the perfect storm well Is the Chinese leader ready to take on a leadership role in the international order, in trying to establish a new international order? The international order today is an order of disorder, and it's going to take a decade to fix gradually, not one against each other, but how do we work together? And the Arab countries that face tremendous problems, socioeconomic, but also security problems, we're trying to look for, okay, who are the new international leaders? And I think the summit was very successful.
2: All right. Um, Professor Sheer, um see, even uh, from what Mr. Farmey just said, a lot of Western critics would say, see, I told you, look, China wants to take away from, the, chip away from the United States or the West influence or interest in the region. What is China eyeing for? What is China eyeing for?
3: Just like Mr. Fahib uh, said, I, you know, somehow, I would say, unfortunately, there is this uh, very kind of uh, fixed thinking among many Western observers of China's uh, foreign policy that, you know, there it has to be a zero sum game. Either China loses or China wins or either the West wins or either the West uh, wins. And so there is no in between. Uh, but in reality, I think the Mr. Fahim, you know, he he he's a foreign minister, and so he knows the uh, delicacy, all these, uh, you know, secret negotiations and others. In the real world, I think there's nothing goes on that, like, you know, it's uh, just a pure black and white. Uh, like, um, it's a zero-sum game. And, but of course, we cannot tell Westerners that, you know, you have to change your mindset, right? The best we Chinese can do is that we look at our own behavior. You know, how can we best serve the international community? Like I said, every country has to, number one, serve the interests of its own people. Second, with power comes responsibility. China is um, taking this very seriously, a responsible stakeholder. And so Mr. Fahimi said, you know, what is Chinese leadership's vision about its role in the international community? I think our leadership is that serious about this. We do want to contribute more. But unfortunately, like I said, you know, whenever China wants to do something, when when China uh, uh, throws an initiative, it always kind of uh, invites skepticism, suspicion, and resentment from uh, many countries in the West. Uh,
2: Ms. Shao, very briefly, how could China make it clear by words and deeds that it, you know, it it really comes with... uh, with the intention to be to build contribute to peace and development in the region is it possible at all
0: uh, i think china has already made it very clear that uh, our goal in middle east is for uh, peace and development and for the interests of the whole region because if you uh, uh, read the readout that uh, get, uh, given by the foreign ministry uh, the Chinese foreign ministry. Actually, the two sides are their cooperation on public health food crisis, uh, energy uh, security, uh, green and the low carbon economy. All those topics are for the living of the people and for the for the transformation of the international order into a, a good direction. So I think China has already it, made it uh, very clearly. But uh, if if people look at that, through a a black or white uh, uh, angle, then certainly the answer will be uh, uh, the other way. It's like uh, China is comp- competing uh, with the United States for geostrategic influence. Um, so, so no matter uh, whatever China has said or, or done, uh, those people will
2: still look at China in this way.
0: So that's my uh, my, my thinking.
2: Let's give it some time, basically, right? Let uh... Let the the reality, let the deeds speak for themselves. Um, finally, let's move on. Let's move on to the third moment of my choice, of course, which I think is really quite interesting. Is the warming up of uh, relations between China and Australia um, on the on November the fifteenth during President Xi's meeting meetings in Bali, uh, Indonesia. He met with Australian Prime Minister Anthony Albanese, and then uh, President Xi said, and I quote, that both. As important countries in the Asia-Pacific region, China and Australia need to improve, uphold and further develop the relationship. It not only serves the fundamental interests of the two peoples, but also helps to promote peace and development in the Asia-Pacific uh, and beyond. And that's just not not it. Uh, Australian Foreign Minister Penny Wan visited China on December the 20th to 21st. This was the first time a ministerial level Official has traveled to Beijing since November 2019, and her visit also coincided with the 50th anniversary of diplomatic ties between the two countries. And of course, Chinese leadership and Australian leadership exchanged messages of congratulation where. Um, Australian Prime Minister Albanese said in the message that he firmly believes that a stable Australia-China relationship is in line with the interests of both countries, quote unquote. Um Professor Shia, let me go directly to you. Uh, how is this cycle of development? how or this learning curve come about, and what propelled um things to turn for the better, finally?
3: I'm not an expert on China-Australia relations. You know, my last visit in uh, Australia was back in 2018. You know, this is even before that. And uh, My sense is that both countries have uh, demonstrated a very remarkable degree of uh, willingness to uh, accommodate each other right now. Uh, I would argue that uh, what has happened over the past four years is more a product of Australian domestic politics. This reminds me of something that we often use in studying American politics, that is a paranoid or paranoia. Somehow some Australian politicians gets very paranoid about the rise of China. And I often tell my students in the class, I say, look, how far away, uh, which country is closer to Australia, China or Japan? Remember back in the second World War, you know, Australia was uh, just nearly invaded by Japan right and but there was never a kind of a, a you know hysteria about Japan or other countries so I think this is all man-made this is all hysteria. Coming from some politicians, I'm
2: going to, I'm going to, uh, yeah, I'm going to interrupt here. Look, um, the making of the Cold War was never yeah. a one-sided event. Mm-hmm. Uh, anybody who 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 read this, that period of history understood how mm. events on both sides reinforced kind of the shaping of the situation. From the Chinese perspective, Professor, I'm going to put this to you: Could China have done something differently?
3: To be honest, I think we could have, uh, you know, toned down a little bit. Um, um, in, in, in terms of our style, um, uh, in terms of the way that we deal with our Australian counterparts in public. Uh, this is my personal view, uh, but, uh, but at the end of the day, you know, I'm not a diplomat, unlike Mr. Fahim, uh, Fahimi, uh, but I think a largely, I would say, overwhelming majority of Chinese people and the Chinese elite would agree with what the Chinese government has said and done down to Australia. I would say this, yeah.
2: All right, Um, a couple of minutes left. I am going to open uh, the opportunity to each one of you to to tell us your pick of a diplomatic moment in China's um, experience in 2022, which other moment you would give that you think is significant that may indicate a direction in the future for the year 2023 for China and for the rest of the world. Mr. Fahmi, let me start with you.
1: Sure, let me answer quickly. Uh, Indications of Chinese wisdom were what struck me most. And I saw that when there was a lot of talk about possibly using weapons of mass destruction in Ukraine. And even though there was tension between the Americans and the Chinese, when Biden met the Chinese president, part of the statement was that nuclear weapons should never be used and a war should never be started and that also came up with the, with the German uh, prime uh, chancellor as well that was one thing an indication of we will compete we will have problems but in national international relations you have to be statesmanlike and wise the same reflection happened in the Arab Chinese summit the as I mentioned earlier the talk about shared interest, mutual benefit, greater understanding. It wasn't, as the professor said, a uh, zero-sum outlook. We're talking about mutual interest. And I would throw in one last point. Mm -hmm. Building on that vision and wisdom, I would urge the Chinese to enunciate even further what kind of world order they envisage we should be working on in the future. And it's because of that, that even though I'm not an expert on uh, Chinese Australia, I again found the debate, the discussion between Australia and China and China interesting because it indicated an understanding that if you want to talk about peace, you talk about peace and cooperation, first of all, with your neighbors or your proximity. That's where, and, and I'll close by saying again, when I was foreign minister, one of the first decisions I took was to, I have specialized units looking at relations with our neighbors. And I said, you report to me directly anytime. It's more important to me to know what my neighbors think, mm. much more than what happens with the US or Russia or China. I'll deal with that.
2: Professor Sheer, your take finally.
3: I just go along with uh, Mr. Fahimi. In international relations, I often tell my students, you can choose your friends, you can choose your enemies, but you cannot choose your neighbors. And so China's number one priority, as demonstrated by President Xi's visit in Bali and the ASEAN summit, excuse me, APEC summit, that shows that Chinese leadership is really, really putting our neighborhood, a stable, secure neighborhood, as China's number one priority. And I really look forward to more diplomatic events and initiatives targeting China's neighboring countries in 2023.
1: All right.
2: We all have our fingers crossed and wish that um, more would be done in a better way, more rationality would prevail, and uh, of course greater health and prosperity for everyone on earth thank you so much for taking your time out in this holiday season to talk about these important issues facing us my guests have been Xiao joining us from shanghai nabil Fahmi joining us from california the united states and professor Tao joining us from beijing with that we come to this special year in addition of the point with me Lixin. as always you can follow me on facebook and twitter using the handle Xin in beijing you've got the point happy holidays